Hello and welcome to Breaking Ground on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we chat to industry experts to get a view on what's happening on the ground and to learn about new trends emerging within the construction industry. The show is brought to you in partnership with Place Engage, a data-driven platform for more successful public consultation and community engagement for your next development project. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Emma Reardon, Divisional Director with Cushman & Wakefield. Emma, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Carol. How are you? And very, very much uh, delighted to be on your show today. Thanks for uh, having me. Thank you so much. So Cushman & Wakefield, you know, one of the, the best known names in the industry. But you might just remind people of the the main kind of sectors that, that you and the team work across. Yeah, so I am a divisional director in the Dublin office in Cushman and Wakefield. Um, Cushman and Wakefield have uh, three offices uh, in Ireland, so in Dublin, Cork and Galway. Um, the largest office is Dublin-based, and I work on the investment team in the Dublin office, specialising in the living sector and predominantly student accommodation. When you talk about the living sector, um, you know, is that taking in, you know, obviously student accommodation, because we're going to talk about that today, but also um, kind of the wider um, private rented sector and particularly, you know, sector kind of almost subsectors like uh, co-living that have been quite controversial to the detriment of the marketplace. They have indeed, actually. Um, so I suppose within the team, we cover all PRS, student accommodation, uh, co-living, hotels and healthcare as well, although healthcare is mainly covered up um, by our Limerick office. Very good. So maybe before we, we go kind of too deeply into student accommodation, talk to us about some of the trends you're seeing. You know, obviously, um, co-living has maybe been one of the controversial ones, but we're seeing that um, right now we're seeing schemes that had planning come to the market and be very, very well received because there was a huge gaping gap in the market um, at that level. And talk to us maybe a little bit about the marketplace that you're seeing now that we have schemes coming to that that are actually being filled out and being well received by consumers. I think from an occupational point of view, um, the co-living buildings that have been delivered to the market so far have been very well received. Um, there's certainly just a gap in the market to provide a certain level of accommodation for people who are, say, starting off in their prof- professional career, moving out of home um, and want to find accommodation um, per- perhaps in, in, in a city where they're, where they're moving to and aren't ready at that point to get on the, on the property ladder. Um, so I think co-living is, uh, we, we actually call it in our student accommodation industry, it's like almost student accommodation for adults. And um, I think it, it, it works well for, you know, a certain age group um, for those particular reasons, I believe. You know, and and however we label it, you know, we it it really does come down to kind of cost, convenience, community and, and having the, the type of being uh, giving people the type of lifestyle that is appropriate for them at that stage. So where we're allowing essentially a gap to open back up in the entry level of the housing market. What do you see stepping in to fill that or what do you see for the future of, of that particular space? Well, to be honest, <clears throat> given that um, at this point in time, there's no more co-living planning permissions permitted um, in Ireland. Um, I think it is uh, it is disappointing, um, to be honest, because I don't believe that 
you know, developers would have gone out and, and delivered co-living all over, you know, all over the country. Um, it definitely would have been a good solution um, in a lot of key locations, especially in the city centre or within walking distance of the city centre or within a reasonable commute. Um, so I don't believe there is a huge amount to replace um, what could have been delivered by co-living, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm always interested in innovation and not just a kind of innovation on how we do things or how we deliver them, but but the business model innovation that we started to see um, across all sectors. And when I see a gap like that, I'm always thinking about who are who are what are the next generation of innovators? What kind of solution are they going to come up with? Um, in much the same way as we saw Airbnb essentially redefine. Uh, hospitality in a way that really couldn't have been foreseen. When we leave a gap in the market like this, something is going to step in to fill it and innovation will always be ahead of regulation. That's just how the marketplace works. Um, So I just, you know, I, I wonder will there come a point in time where maybe from a policy point of view we realise that the wrong decision was made, the wrong policies were pursued and that actually um there might be a rollback on it uh, albeit under maybe a, a different guise. So I think it's an interesting space to watch. But let's talk about kind of maybe the wider PRS uh, for a moment as well. Like what kind of trends? Because actually, again, another sector that's come under pressure in terms of financing and project owners' ability to attract international finance because of our national policies. So what are you seeing across that sector? It's, you know, from an investment perspective, very things are very quiet <clears throat> in the sector, unfortunately, at the moment. And it's mainly down to the fact that there's not a huge amount of um, new stock to be delivered um, over the next over the next year, year to two years. And really anything that has been delivered has been sold at this point or taken um, under a, a, a social contract. Um, so that's really that the market is very much quietened down um, from what we would have seen over the last number of years. Yeah, and th- that's in terms of, I suppose, then uh, the supply side. But on the demand side, are, is the demand still there? Uh, very much so from what we're what we're hearing on the ground. So any new deliveries of, 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 of uh, buildings and units are being let up extremely quickly um, in all of the ranges of uh, price sectors, <clears throat> but obviously in particular in the, in the mid-tier sector. You know, it's so interesting when you're trying to, you know, a lot of times when we talk about buildings that have been delivered, you know, obviously it's without giving too much thought to the many years of the process that's gone in. So the policy that that was existing at the time, the planning processes, and obviously while planning is hopefully on a trajectory to be rectified in some way, you know, there isn't huge confidence around the new planning and development bill. And I suppose... uh, it hasn't been helped by the 388 amendments that have gone in before it's even uh, before it's even enacted. But we know that planning is and has been a problem. We know the steps to rectify it, whether they go far enough, you know, is, is a bit of a controversial question. And I think it's one without a clear answer at this stage. But when you're talking to clients and advising them and you need to look down the few, you know, a few li- years into the future, how are you able to do that, given the maybe uncertainty in terms of of policy in Ireland right now? Yeah, it's um, it's 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 definitely diff- a difficult one, and none of us have a crystal ball. But look, everything is 
pointing in the right direction, albeit it might take a while um, to get to a point where, you know, getting a planning permission through, um, you know, is within a reasonable time frame and makes it actually viable from a developer's point of view. I suppose in particular for, for the student sector, we've seen really a, a halt in any new applications and planning permissions that have, have gone in. Um, and it's mainly down to really viability um, on uh, for for these new schemes. So um, it's really, that's one of the other key factors apart from actually getting through the, the, the planning process is whether a scheme ends up being viable. Uh, when we look at the student accommodation sector, we have demand for student accommodation maybe outside of the the main just uh, Dublin, Cork, Limerick, uh, Galway uh, and indeed Waterford. You know, now we're seeing it with the TUs um, across the country and the amalgamation and the process they've gone through in recent years. And more and more and more, we're hearing these stories about students who are commuting three and four hours each way to go to college or worse, students who are sleeping in their cars um, in the car park of universities. And I can only suggest they don't do that in the University of uh, um, they're then the University of Galway. I got clamped there myself last week. So there was no, there was no respite for students, you know, um, in in any respect. But in terms of student accommodation, you know, you touched on it there. Viability. We have demand in not just the large urban centres, but in some of the smaller urban centres as well. But project viability just is. I mean, is it even stretching beyond Dublin and Cork right now? Not really. I think the, in the three main cities, Dublin, Cork and Galway is is possibly where you could see um, uh, any new development actually being, well, development being delivered outside those locations. Just the nature of the cost of the rents um, is really making any other projects outside uh, those city locations really unviable unless there is government assistance where the government steps in as they are making sounds about um which is very positive for the sector overall um um and possibly that they're able to provide um grants um in relation to uh the construction costs of for developments on the TU campuses um in Dublin and regionally as well Okay, and are are you hopeful? I mean, I I, I like that you positioned that uh, things are pointing in the right direction because I think that's a very generous approach to take in terms of policy. But no, it is good. And and by the way, you know that that's not a critique. I can very much recognise that um, there have been some fantastic government initiatives that are genuinely starting to work. We're seeing it across Cree Cronahan and other schemes. There have been so many initiatives, and I think initially, while they might have been more kind of on the while they were designed to stimulate supply, they were kind of positioned more on the demand side, more on the consumer side. Whereas actually, I think now there's a little bit more political honesty to say that actually, no, we need we need more supply side initiatives. And, and we've seen that in the last year or two, which is really positive. But is it enough? Is it enough, say, if we just look at the student accommodation market, is it enough to satisfy the demand that we have in the locations where we have it? I Look, there's a huge amount of beds for instance, in students in the planning pipeline. Um, but again, and, and they would be on the university campuses and also um, privately owned um, sites with planning permission. I think if all of those sites were developed out, 
possibly um, we could meet the the current demands or and the future demands. Um, but the reality is is that some of those sites that say do have planning permission um, mightn't actually be in locations that would that would make them viable. Yeah. So, Carol, I think what's quite unique about the student accommodation sector in Ireland is that most of the planning permissions for the newer accommodation that have been delivered since 2016 would allow for lettings um, over the summer months to non-students. So what that means is that when the students finish their academic year and go home to uh, their their family home or back, uh, back to their own country, wherever it may be, then the operator of the scheme is allowed to let those bedrooms for tourist use over the summer months. So from a viability perspective, that's actually a really a positive opportunity from a revenue point of view um, over those summer months. So if the scheme is is run um, efficiently, you can operate quite a quite a, a good summer model and effectively on a per night basis, you're able to um you're able to achieve more on a revenue basis per bed space than you would be over the academic year period and that's in contrast to what we see across in UK and Europe so a lot of the accommodation in most of the cities at the student cities in those locations would be operating on very low occupancy levels over the summer and wouldn't have that type of planning permission um, available to them. That sounds like um, a very positive kind of distinction factor in the Irish marketplace then because obviously I can see two major benefits um, to the to the consumer um essentially that obviously you're not trying to or you don't need to make 12 months revenue in nine months so therefore it shouldn't be attracting as high costs because you're able to build that summer season into your into your revenue model but also i would imagine that impacts the finish if you know that yes you've students nine months of the year and then you have to be of a standard that stu- or that uh, tourists will choose this as well. Is that impacting maybe the quality of finish or any of the design choices? Yeah, yeah, it does absolutely. Um, and I think uh, overall for those kind of buildings, you know, you have to uh, factor in or have uh, durable uh, design and finishes and fit out, etc., to to the rooms and to the building. Um, yes, it's it's a positive on that per- from that perspective, but. Again, very much stemmed down to where the actual accommodation is located. So if you're in a location that's within you know, walking distance of the city centre, you're probably going to be in a position where you can operate a successful summer model. Um, however, if you're in a more suburban location, then it's, it's much harder, obviously, to sell those beds for tourists because t- tourists obviously typically tend to be um wanting to stay closer to the city center um i suppose then the, the negative to that kind of business model uh would be the the higher wear and tear as you pointed out there on the building if you're if you're turning over the beds quite frequently over the summer months and then obviously the additional costs that would be associated with running this hotel type model um so you know obviously you have to bring in a set of you know new staff um over the summer months to turn over the rooms to operate the reception area and then obviously you would have additional costs in terms of linen costs and other costs associated with running marketing and uh, running a hotel type model so it's not for every operator 
Um, but it is interesting to see that for specific located uh, student accommodation schemes, a lot of them can run quite a successful business model. Yeah, you know, when we look at the business model, you know, I can see over the last decade there has almost been a merging of what we might have considered to be the offering across the private rented sector, including student accommodation and for hospitality. I mean, space as a service is, you know, I think as a, a the real estate industry has become really comfortable transitioning and recognizing itself as a service provider as opposed to a, a building provider um over the last decade and obviously that's very welcome but you know i and i'm thinking of the when we when we look at the quality of fit out and amenities the range of amenities i'm thinking of the headlines that we read every year when students are going back to college about the, the very high standard of student accommodation and the amenities and the gyms and the, the cinemas on site. So that crossover from student into hospitality doesn't feel very far removed. The, the quality of student accommodation in Ireland is excellent. It is. And I suppose um, because really the market has really evolved since, I suppose, 2016. Prior to that, what was student accommodation? It was, it was essentially apartment style accommodation that would have been um you know you might have kind of three or four bedrooms within those typical apartments um or usually en suite and a lot of these buildings would have been you know built as part of tax incentives um over the last kind of 15 or 20 20 years and would be obviously much older accommodation and then really kind of from 2016 onwards came the 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 newer modern purpose built accommodation um and we started to see uh these these fantastic buildings being delivered um with amenity space um in addition to obviously the bedrooms so you know a lot of the buildings today typically the newer stock would not only provide an ensuite bedroom to the students and um, there would be within that uh, apartment or cluster as it's known in the industry and um, you would have some shared living space as well so the students you might have anything from kind of a four to an eight bed cluster apartment and within that then you have your shared kitchen living space and dining space and then in addition to the shared living space typically on the ground floor there will be additional amenities provided to the students so um what's typical is we see, uh, you know, a common room or a games room. You might have a table tennis table or pool table, lounge area. Um, and then in addition to that, study space, private study rooms or communal or group study rooms, which students could book out as a group um, or just book out themselves if they were practicing a presentation, etc. Um, and then in some of the, the higher end schemes, we've seen things like communal kitchen spaces, which again, tends to go down very well from a, a, a student point of view where a group of students, again, can book out the communal kitchen space and host a dinner party. Um, and then other such amenities, uh, we have seen in one particular scheme, Bowling Alley. Um, wow. So again, it sounds very fancy, but I suppose all of the amenities are really designed to bring the students out of their room and down into the into the social space where they can interact and meet new people, make new friends. And, um, you know, it's all part of the student experience. 
I think t- typically in uh, most markets, and um, particularly in Dublin, there would be a very high proportion of international students um, who would avail of the accommodation in the cities. Um, so we'd see maybe 80, typically around 80 to 85% of the students would be international. And again, you know, if you're coming to the city uh, into Dublin, Cork or Galway for the first time, um, you know, it's it's you're very much you might be you might know anyone, so it's very much a social life that's that's there and ready for you. Um, in addition to your room, your bed, your bedding, your kitchenware, um, and yeah. then you know, again, the staff who would be located on site would be trained to provide pastoral care to the students. It's very much a community environment. You know, and and the element of community, you know, and I don't want to kind of go back to talking about co-living, but, you know, you you did say that it was referred to almost a student accommodation for adults. And actually, I think the common thread there is that sense of community. And that is what people choose at many stages of their life. You know, when you talk about the student experience, it's feeling very far removed from the student experience I had when you talk about bowling alleys and, and dinner parties. I didn't know any students who were throwing dinner parties, but I think... Yeah. There might be a more sophisticated student today than than back in my day. But um, but I actually think... just well, when we're talking about the, the quality of finish, I'm looking at one that Cushman and Wakefield are bringing to the market now and it's open for bookings for September 24. Scape. That's a stunning building. You might just tell us a little more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're we've just launched the sale of Scape Dublin. Um, it's a 298-bed student accommodation scheme located on Anger Street in Dublin 2. Um, so the scheme was delivered in 2020 and has been operating for the last three years. It's in its, its third year of operation. Look, it's uh, an absolute um, gem in the par- in the heart of the city where Pearl, as we're, we've named it Project Pearl, in the heart of the city, um, really a stone's throw from Grafton Street and most importantly from two universities that would have a high proportion of international students. So that would be the Royal College of Surgeons, Ireland and Trinity College, Dublin. So it's it's um, <clears throat> on Anger Street and um, it's very much, uh, it's very much an oasis in the, in the middle of the city in terms of um, the kind of community environment that's provided to the students within within that building. Um, so within the building, um, there's a, a gym that would be open 24 hours for the students. And then there's a clubhouse style pavilion, which is located um, on the first floor, which has amenities such as a communal kitchen, study areas, uh, private study rooms and kind of a general hangout area for the students and that opens onto a courtyard garden which again is really unique because it's in the middle of the city centre but a really private um, private courtyard garden which again the students can uh, hang out in there's garden seating etc um, there and provided for the students as well. So. Very good. And I mean, the, the location is second to none. So, you know, you were talking about kind of the, the summer season. If you're within walking distance of the city, you simply couldn't get any closer to uh, St. Stephen's Green. Um, so in terms of the type of market you're attracting or even the type of inquiries are, you know, who who are you seeing kind of looking at this and paying attention to this right now? Um, well, just sorry, one just point to correct there, if you don't mind going back. So it's um, just in relation to 
this this scheme um the model that it operates on is uh, it's a 51 week letting model so when i spoke about it earlier there was um planning permissions for a lot of the the, the schemes around Dublin that would allow for tourist lets some of the operators if they have very strong international demand, they're starting to offer lettings on a 51-week basis as well. So that's an interesting kind of theme and um, that seems to be evolving. Well, that is evolving in the student sector currently in um, in Ireland at the moment. And so um, the RCSI has actually a nomination agreement, which is effectively like a lease agreement, and they have taken beds in the SCAPE building um, for 51 weeks um, each year and that the building's been so, the building has been sold on that basis so look we've just launched the sale of scape this week so we're, it's early days in in the process we haven't seen a disposal or a transaction of student accommodation in the Dublin market for the la- uh, for the last two years so it was kind of the end of 2021 2022 when the last portfolio traded so it's been obviously very quiet on the ground for for the obvious reasons around um, finance and uh, inflation. Um, so we have already seen lots of interest, um, uh, you know, over the last few days, and that's that was something that we had obviously anticipated. Um, and I suppose just in terms of overall, you know, what are investors looking at? There's a lot. There's a lot more soundings around the living sector, and indeed. The student accommodation beds um huge amount of interest for a number of different reasons obviously demographics is a huge amount of play in things in terms of supply and demand and the constant increase in in student numbers domestically and internationally so effectively every building across ireland currently is operating at maximum capacity or full occupancy as we would call it in the sector so um yes it's it's exciting it's it is the best it's the best building we think in dublin and ireland and we'd be very we'd be very confident um that the sales process is going to is going to go well and as i said already we've seen lots of interest so very good and i suppose without pushing pushing you too much further are you expecting this to go to an irish or international i would imagine likely um it's going to be an international uh, investor Okay, and just I suppose in terms of inquiries, not necessarily around this particular property, but others that are coming in from international buyers, are you picking up on any trends? And, you know, obviously uh, the last few years, each year has brought their own unique challenges for the real estate market. And Ireland is certainly um, not uh, alone in experiencing that. But what are the Irish specific concerns that international investors have for 2024 and 2025? Yeah, I think from an international perspective, um, from an inter- an international investor looking at Ireland, rent caps, um, that's probably one of the, the biggest barriers um, at the moment um, to investors. So student market uh, came under the uh, RTB legislation uh, by over two years ago now. Um, so effectively, all the student rents are capped at two percent. So compared to other markets across Europe, um, you know, if you're if you're comparing markets, that's probably one of the biggest uh, barriers currently um, to investment. Okay, and look, obviously, we know from various different groups, whether it's PII and others, and in fact, even as recently as the IMF coming into Ireland in November, 
and talking about how damaging rent caps are and how they have the opposite effect to what the government seems to think um, it has. You know, we, we know that that's a policy that needs to change and it's one that's being looked at. But is there any reason to be optimistic that, that we could be looking at a change kind of over the next 24 to 36 months? Look, for the sector, obviously, we, we would hope so. Um, but the reality is we're probably going to see it in a different form or fashion and potentially more in the form of income supports um, as opposed to um, lifting of the rental caps on the sector, unfortunately. So, you know, and it's interesting that is almost the very opposite to what the IMF was recommending. In fact, they recommended specific targeted supports for people um, experiencing affordability issues as opposed to rent caps in the market because we know that it impacts the supply. Uh, it exists. The, it impacts negatively the existing supply and the supply of new homes while demand fires ahead in terms of um, levels growing. So, yeah, it's 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 a difficult one to understand the rationale behind. But listen, thank you so much for taking the time to take us through that today. I will, of course, share the link to Scape. It is a stunning building, superbly well located um, with uh, an established operations um, in place there. So thank you so much for taking us through that. That was Emma Reardon, Divisional Director with Cushman and Wakefield. My thanks to show producer Katie Talon and to the production team at Hear Me Roar Media. Also, my thanks to Place Engage for making these conversations possible and to you for tuning in. Please check out all of the other Irish and international real estate and construction shows here on iPropertyRadio.com. 